being sent out. I don't know if you've gotten yours yet or not. I know uh, we haven't, but uh, that's okay. Uh, but this morning, I want to talk to you about a real stimulus package. I want to talk to you about God's stimulus package, the one that he offers, the one that's real, uh, the one that is absolutely true. Plus, this message this morning goes along with our uh, Wednesday night Bible study uh, on Romans. Uh, this sermon this morning is partly due to um, trying to entice more people to listen in on Wednesday night uh, on our uh, uh, during to our our study uh, our online study. So hopefully it'll entice more of you to zoom in and uh, listen. And again, if if you haven't received your invitation, send me your uh, email address and I'll make sure you get that. Uh, but the other reason I wanted to preach on this is because I couldn't wait. Uh, as I get into this study in Romans and all the excitement and the things that, that you learn from this study, uh, you can't help but want to share. And who knows, there may be someone that's needing to hear this, this sermon and find out exactly what it is they need to do in order to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to understand what they must do in order to have uh, eternal life. And so we're going to be talking about this, that this morning. Uh, Tim asked me a little while ago what was the sermon title, and I told him God's uh, stimulus package. But at the same time, you could, uh, you could name it uh, Under Sin or Under the Blood. Under Sin or Under the Blood. So we're going to be talking about that uh, here this morning. If you turn your news on, all you hear about is the coronavirus. Uh, it, it, the news is, is completely overrun by news stories concerning the coronavirus. You go on website, uh, or you go on Facebook, you go on any, uh, any social media page, and it, it's absolutely overrun with news on the coronavirus and the, the toll that this virus is taking on our society, uh, whether it be the body count or whether it be the devastating effect on our economy, what you hear about is the coronavirus. And so the government has taken steps in order to help stimulate our economy. And the government has, has taken steps in order to try to pump life into this economy, saying that it's almost dead, there's not much life in our, our, our economy, that we are quickly approaching the possibility of a depression, uh, recession, and all sorts of other uh, horror stories. And so they're hoping that they are going to be able to uh, arouse to generate some life back into our economy uh, with this stimulus check, with this stimulus package that they have put together. I pray it works. I pray it works. It's not how I would have done it, but nobody called me and asked me how I would do it. So uh, because they didn't ask, I, I didn't tell them, but that's not how I, wanted, I would have done it. But here's the good news. The good news is God does have a stimulus package that actually works. God has a stimulus package where he takes that which is dead in sins and trespasses, where there is no life, no hope. He pumps life 
He puts life into that which is dead in sin and trespasses. That which is spiritually bankrupt, our loving Heavenly Father makes new, literally makes alive. You see, Romans chapter 3, verse 9, and that's where I'm going to ask you to go this morning, to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 9, tells us that we are all under sin. That we're all under sin. And that accurately describes how everyone is, their condition. What then? Paul asked this question. Are we better than they? Talking about Jews and Gentiles. No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Talk about a bailout. You talk about deliverance. What God offers fallen man, what God offers all of those who are under sin, life eternal. Verse 9, if, if we're all under sin, we need to understand that God hates sin, right? We're all under sin. You need to understand that you can't save yourself. So if, you, if we're all under sin, you can't save yourself. We need a Savior. We need someone who can. You cannot jumpstart your own spiritual condition. There are no amount of works. There are no amount of deeds. There are no... No efforts that you can put into your life in order to jumpstart that lost condition. We're all under sin. You can't stimulate your own spiritual condition, regardless of your attempts, regardless of your works or your effort. So God himself takes the initiative in his love and grace to reveal himself to us, and not only does he reveal himself to us, but he becomes one of us. And not only does he become one of us, he becomes a curse for us. And not only does he become a curse for us, he becomes sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, if God, if he had not taken the initiative to make himself known, both in his written word and in the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, I think mankind, based on his conscience, would understand that there is a supreme being, that there is a, a God of some sort out there. But God, in his love and his mercy, he desired for us to know exactly who he is, what he is, and so he revealed himself to us through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is Christ who has revealed the Father to us. So we're all under sin. We're in need of a Savior. God's word is very clear in, in the next verse that the, uh, or that the wages of sin is death. Uh, and aren't you glad that there is a Savior that provides eternal life. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Not through your own efforts, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the wages of sin is death. We need to understand both physical and spiritual death. You can't save yourself. That physical death is, is where, according to James 2.26, when the spirit and the body are separated, that, that brings about spiritual death or, or physical death. Spiritual death is when God and you are separated. And since the fall in the garden, there's been that separation. Adam and, and, and the Lord had a perfect relationship in the garden until sin. That sin, that rebellion on Adam's part, separated him and God. When in the scripture we find that God is uh, God and Adam would, would walk together in the cool of the evening, and we find in, in Genesis that God says, Adam, where are you? So God knew where Adam was. What that indicates is that perfect relationship had uh, been severed. That perfect relationship that they had with one another had been, had been uh, uh, changed. That, that spiritually, Adam was no longer connected to God the Father. And he needed that reconciliation. He needed to be reconnected. So the wages of sin is death, physical death for sure, Spiritual death, certainly, and that is the most important one of those two. That's the one that's the most serious. It's being separated from God. So we're all under sin. The wages of sin is death. But I'm here to tell you this morning that because of God's infinite grace and his mercy and his love, that God provides eternal life through Jesus Christ. He offers it to all who believe on his name. See, according to God's word, we go from being dead in sin to dead to sin. What a, what a dramatic change that takes place in our lives. Going from being dead in sin to dead to sin. And that's brought about because of what God does in our life. Again, it's not based on our works. It's not based on our efforts. It is absolutely based on the complete and finished work of Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Starting with verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom you also had your conversation in times past in the lust of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Not only has he quickened us, not only has he made us alive, but he's made us, but he has raised us up, to, made us sit together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, 
and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. When we study God's word, when we look at this, we understand that we go from being dead in sins and trespasses to alive in Christ. Dead in sin, dead to sin now. And it's all because of who we are in Christ. When you do a study of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 talks about uh, with Christ. Verse 6 talks about in Christ. Uh, Verse 7 talks about through Christ. It's all about Him. In verse 10, it talks about being in Christ. We have to give Him the glory. We have to give Him the praise. We have to give Him the credit because it's because of His work on Calvary. It's because He shed His blood. It's because the tomb is empty, because of the resurrection, that all this is possible for us to be reconnected, reconciled to God. So Ephesians tells us we were dead in sin. Look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 tells us to consider ourselves dead to sin because of the change that God brings about in our life. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? There you go. How should it be that we who are dead to sin, the we being those who have been made new creations in Christ, those who have gone from being in Adam, where we all die, to those who are in Christ, who are all made alive, that we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? It's talking about that spiritual baptism. This has nothing to do with water. You get kind of frustrated with people who want to put something as, as, as silly as, as water here as that cleansing agent. But it is fact that we have been baptized into Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit 1 Corinthians 12 talks us, t- tells us that it's that spirit baptism that places us into the body of Christ. When you understand that this baptism is that spiritual baptism, not something that has anything to do with water, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. It's called the doctrine of identification. We identify with the Lord Jesus Christ with his death, with his burial, and, praise be to God, his resurrection and his ascension. According to God's word, we just read it a while ago. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies this very moment. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. The bottom line here is because you are because you were dead in sin, now you're dead to sin, you need to live like it. It's what God's Word says. In the newness of life, you live like that individual who has been made a new creation, whose life has been changed by the power of God. 
For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6. What an important verse here, folks, to understand. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. In this argument, our old man has been crucified with him. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I am crucified with Christ. Again, it is that identification. We have died. We were crucified. Our old man hung on the cross. The cross. That relationship that we had with Adam, it was there on the cross with Christ, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Not might be, not hope so, but for those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a fact that your old man, that relationship with Adam, in Adam we all do what? Die. In Christ we, should all, we shall all be made alive. So in Adam you're lost, you're under sin, you're a slave to sin, but the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you believe that he died for you, was buried and rose again. The Holy Spirit takes you and he takes you from being in Adam, the old man, and he places you in Christ, the new man. He seals you into the day of redemption. You are baptized by the Holy Spirit, the one baptism that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4 it's spiritual it's lasting and how important it is that our old man is crucified with him why that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin listen to this friends for he that is dead is freed from sin now, if we be dead with Christ, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, through Jesus Christ. Again, in Christ. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. God's Word told us that we have been planted together with Christ, that our old man has been hung on the cross with him, well, we, it has been destroyed. That is our position. But it also goes on to tell us that it's a willful decision on our own not to desire to sin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Neither, verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. As those that are alive from the dead, and those and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. That's your position in Christ. 
That's who you are in Christ. Back to Romans chapter 3, verse 10, though, tells us that there are none righteous. No, not one. That is the natural condition of man, and mankind is absolutely desperate and in need of a Savior. You know, I confess that I get absolutely aggravated with those who actively deny or those who actively uh, deny God, who actively criticize Christians, who scoff and ridicule believers, and who literally imagine harm and hurt against the body of Christ. I, I, I get frustrated sometimes as you're trying to, to witness, and people are just, uh, seem so unconcerned about their eternity. They seem so hostile toward the invitation that God issues, that God uh, advances, that God presents to believe on Him to everlasting life. And they scoff at that truth. They scoff at the gospel. They, have, they want nothing to do with that. And you get aggravated. But the truth of the matter is, we need to pity them. We need to pray for them. We need to feel sympathy for them, not disdain. Because they don't know the joy of knowing Christ. They don't know the excitement of having Him in their life knowing that they are new creations and all that God has for them in eternity to come. See, the natural condition of man is that he, that there are none righteous, no, not one. That we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. If that's the case then man is doomed. If God is so holy, and He is, if God is so righteous, and He is, and we're anything but holy and righteous, we're in big, big trouble, or natural man is, unless God intervenes. And here's the news. This, this is the thrust of this message is that God has intervened. God in His mercy, He tells us that there are none righteous, no, not one. He tells us that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's Word is very clear on that truth. But we also understand that while we were yet sinners, according to Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 19 of Romans chapter 3. Verse 19 of Romans chapter 3. Tells us, now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. See, that's the purpose of, of the law. That's the reason the law was given. The law was given so that we all may understand that we are guilty before God. And you say, well, that's okay because I'm just going to take my chances, and I'm going to try to live a good life. 
I'm going to try to, to live a life where, and, and after all, preacher, I, I'm pretty good at keeping the Ten Commandments. Well, I want to let you know that there are a lot more than Ten Commandments. There are Ten Commandments that were written in stone, but there are over 600 commandments. And the bottom line is, no one can keep all of them. And according to God's Word, you break one, you've broken all of them. See, the law was not given to save us. Matter of fact, the law can't save us. But it, what the law does is it shows us we need to be saved. The law was not given to save us. It was given to show us that we need a Savior. You say, well, I'm pretty good at keeping the law. And besides, haven't you heard that God, God is a God of love, that he's a loving God? Yes, absolutely, he is a loving God. But God's word is also clear that it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. It's knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. How important that is. See, the, according to, to Romans 15, uh, according to Romans 3, uh, 19, uh, 20, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. See, by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law is what convinces us that we need a Savior. It is the law that convinces us that there are none that does, that does good, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The law is the schoolmaster. The law is what makes sure we understand that God is holy when we compare our holy, righteous God, and us, we see just how far short we fall. You want to satisfy God? You keep His law. But you can't do it. You can't do it. So it demonstrates to us that we are morally bankrupt, that we are broken, and we need a Savior. We need a Savior. There is not a law of God that we've not broken. So man needs a stimulus package. Man badly needs his condition fixed. And there's only one way to do that. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the law was not given for the righteous, according to 1 Timothy 1.9. The law was not given for the righteous. The law was given for the unrighteousness, for the unrighteous, for them, again, to see their need for a Savior that we can't do it ourselves. Galatians 3.11, Galatians 2.16, Galatians 2, both tell us that the law cannot save, that by the law shall no flesh be justified. Shall no flesh be justified. And we all fall short of the glory of God. Again, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. And we use that scripture a lot, Knowing the terror of God, we persuade men, but persuade them to do what? You know, some, so often we stop there. Knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. Persuade them to do what? To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To show them their desperate need for a Savior. That God is willing, God is able, God has provided that salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ for us to be to be saved. So the law was given. Uh, verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
And because of that knowledge of sin, we realize that we all fall short. We, we, there are none righteous, no, not one. Puts us in a pretty difficult situation. But look at verse 21 of Romans chapter 3. But now, but now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But now is the righteousness of God. See, that's what we want. We want the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of the, of the law, because none of us can keep it. It's the righteousness of the law, uh, the righteousness of God that really counts. And it tells us that now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Well, who does that? Who describes that? Who shows us that? Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. You want to know the righteousness of God? You look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he knew no sin. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, tells us that Christ became sin for us even though he knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The wages of, I mean, the, the wages of sin is death, that we're all under sin. God's word is clear. There are none that, that uh, there's none that's good. There's none that are righteous. No, not one. That's the natural condition of man. But the Apostle Paul does not stop there as the Holy Spirit moves on him to build this dramatic case of here is mankind's position without Christ, but oh, glory be to God, here is our position when we are in Christ. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. That's not in Jesus, your faith in Jesus. If your translation uses the word in Jesus Christ, that is a wrong translation. Because then that's man's effort in order to give him the credit and the glory. That preposition of is absolutely necessary in order to understand this scripture. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, not in Jesus Christ, but of Jesus Christ. That little preposition helps us to understand that it is Him and Him alone who buys, who wins, who provides our salvation. It is not what we do, it's what He has done. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all of them that believe, for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely. Here we go. Here's this great and wonderful news. Being justified freely by His grace. The word freely, the Greek word there is dorin. It mean, literally means without cause. Without cause. The only other time that it's used was, was in Luke and when, or in John 15, I'm sorry, John 15, verse 25, it talks about the fact that they hated Christ without cause. Being justified without cause. We don't deserve it. There are none righteous, no, not one. But being justified freely by His grace. To be justified means to be declared righteous. That's what we've been talking about. 
The righteousness of God is what we desire. The righteousness of God is what we need. He is holy. He is righteous. We're anything but until you become part of the body of Christ through believing and through the transforming power of God where he changes you from in Adam to in Christ and you become part of the body of Christ sealed into the day of redemption, being justified, being declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah is right. But God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness. See, it all keeps going back to the righteousness of Christ. It all goes back to the righteousness of God. It all goes back to his holiness, to his rightness, to who he is and who we as men are not until we believe. And by the working of the Holy Spirit, you are placed into the body of Christ and sealed there, and you exchange your lost condition for his righteousness. You trade, you exchange your lost in Adam to being in Christ and sealed until the day of redemption. What an eternally secure position we have when you are in Christ. God has set for him to be for, set him forth to be a propitiation. The propitiation, the word there is such a phenomenal word. The word propitiation, it has to do with pacifying the wrath of God. Not just covering of sin, not just canceling sin, but seriously satisfying the righteous requirements of God. Christ is our propitiation. It doesn't mean that he covers our sin or that our sin is canceled. It literally means our sin has been dealt with, that Christ has satisfied the righteous requirements of God. For the wages of sin is death. And the great news of that is Christ Jesus died for your sins. That when he hung on Calvary's cross, he was giving his life for you through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. No other one, no other person could have died in your place. It would have been a heroic act. It would have been an act of love. But it was only His blood that had that cleansing power. The blood of Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, without spot, without blemish. It had to be Christ. That's why when we say there's... there's uh, only salvation in Christ. There's only one way that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved when we believe what Christ said, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him, for he and he alone could satisfy what you owed in your state of unrighteousness. It's through his blood that we have that salvation. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And Christ himself on Calvary's cross gave his life, the perfect Lamb of God, in order that you could be saved. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. 
to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believe in Jesus. What a plan of salvation that is. According to God's word here in Romans chapter 3, we are justified by his grace. According to Romans 5.1, we are justified by faith. According to Romans chapter 5, verse 9, we're justified by his blood. So the question is, well, which is it? Are we justified by his grace? Are we justified by faith? Are we justified by the blood of Christ? And I say, yes, all three, all three. The, his grace is the source of that justification. Our faith in him is the means of that justification. And the blood is the basis that that salvation could be offered to each one of us. That the redemption that we have is in Christ. The death of Christ enabled God the Father. The death of God the Son enabled God the Father to be just and the justifier. Our God is a just God. That, that tells us that condemnation should be upon all who have sinned. The idea of justice means the meeting out that which is deserved. And the fact that God is just should cause us all to tremble. Should cause us to tremble. We say, well, God's a just God, so I'm going to take my chances. Let me tell you something. It's because God is a just God. You do not want to take chances with him. Because you will receive justice at the hands of a just God. But here's the glorious news. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. It's what he accomplished on Calvary's cross that allows God the Father to be just and punishing judgment falling upon our sin and our lost condition and also he can be justified in offering salvation, eternal life, to all those that do exactly what God says we must do. And that is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that Christ died for your sins. By faith you accept his death, burial, and resurrection. It wasn't, it wasn't something that happened in history that was an accident. I've heard some people say, well, well, Christ was sent by God the Father to be an example. I didn't need an example. I needed a Savior. And what Christ came and he accomplished on Calvary's cross was not an accident. But before the foundation of the world, God in his love and his mercy and his grace had planned on demonstrating his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Boy, do we need a stimulus package. And the wondrous truth of it is God makes us alive in Christ. That which is dead in sin, God raises up and makes us new creations in Christ. Our standing before God changes completely when by faith we believe and trust in Christ. And I hope and pray this morning that you've done that. I hope and pray this morning that by faith you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation.
knowing that you can't save yourself. See, the world standards are really different than God's standards. But according to the world standards, you might be a pretty nice person. According to the world standards, you might be A-OK. But according to God's standards, and those are the ones that count for all eternity, you fall short. Let's pray. Father, I come before you now, and I just pray that if there's anyone who is listening to this program today that does not know you as Savior, that this will be the moment in their life when that changes. When they realize, Father, that they can't save themselves, they can't work for it, they can't strive for it, they can't endeavor to keep your law, Father, they can't do it. For by the law shall no flesh be justified. But, Father, by the precious blood of Christ, they can be declared righteous by believing that Christ died for them, that he was buried for them, and that he rose again. And, Father, may we understand that a moment a person, that a sinner comes to you, faith believing the gospel, Father, that person is changed by the power of God. He has made a new creation. They are sanctified. They are glorified. They are justified. They are redeemed. All of those works take place the moment a person believes, but those are works that are accomplished by you and you alone. So, Father, we come by faith, and it is faith that pleases you. Father, it's not the Mosaic law that can save a man. Father, it's the law of faith that you receive, that you accept, that you desire when they believe in your only begotten Son, the one that you sent, God incarnate, God in the flesh, to make us new creations. Father, I pray that they will believe that today. Now, Father, we come before you as needy individuals trusting you, desiring to serve you. Father, we pray your blessings on our outreach, not for our glory, but, Father, for yours. Use us to bring glory and honor to you, for we ask these things in the precious, glorious, wonderful name, in that name that's above all other names, the name of Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. Amen.